The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 342, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, March 16th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air twice a week. Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling. Thursday nights, we cover gaming and entertainment, uh, usually from 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Unfortunately, the last couple of days, uh, the last couple of episodes, let me rephrase that, uh, we've had to make some adjustments with the start time due to a litany of different issues. This week, we were having uh, some trouble with the Blog Talk Radio switchboard, which we did manage to resolve before going on air. In addition to that, I was dealing with some YouTube issues as well on the My Take Radio TV channel. Uh, seems one of our videos was flagged for uh, copyright, even though we uh, utilize video for commentary purposes. I have since uh, filed a counterclaim for that, and that's in process. But I believe that that is going to affect some of the uploads for the My Take Radio TV channel. In the event that they do, please remember that you can still watch episodes of MTR on Rageworks. Again, you can watch episodes of My Take Radio on the official Rageworks channel on YouTube. Uh, I think that we're going to start looking not so much at at not putting the shows on YouTube because we still want to do that, but maybe just using something like Vimeo or something like that where we can just, you know, pay for a service and host our videos that way. Uh, That was actually a recommendation from someone else um, in regards to just having our videos up and not having to deal with all the usual crap associated with it. But we are we're going to research that, obviously, because Vimeo is a paid service. We got to deal with that stuff as well. Uh, Another thing I did want to reference, and this was something that um, I'm not sure why the chat room has uh, audio. I just don't want any audio to play through the uh headphones but um you know it's one of those things where again you know the these are these are enhancements and improvements we're gonna have to deal with 
to ensure that we don't have any other problems. And because of that, I think that, um, you know, we'll be able to resolve it. But again, it's one of those things where it's going to it's going to definitely hinder uh, stuff with the channel only because, as I said, we're going to have trouble doing uh, updates based on that. I, I've, you know, the first time we've received one of those uh, copyright strikes. So I got to do a little research, do a little homework. I believe that it does go away after six months, but that is still going to delay uh, any of the uploads, obviously, any of the longer uploads for the show. So uh, like I said, we we filed a counterclaim and we're going to probably try and do a retraction and see what the deal is with that. Obviously, should anything change, I will keep you guys posted, but definitely make it a point to, if you haven't already, subscribe to the official RageWorks channel on YouTube. All right. So as I mentioned, we've had a couple of late start times. We are hopefully not going to have that tomorrow night for the gaming and entertainment edition. But if that changes, obviously keep it locked to our social media outlets and um, we will get you guys all the pertinent information. Should that change a couple of things, housekeeping to get out of the way. First and foremost, we are probably going to go live with our Batman and Superman uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice contest. Uh, we may start it off this weekend and run it through Thursday. Uh, just trying to figure out a way to handle the prize distribution. As I said, we have three prizes to give away. Uh, two sets of Batman versus Superman Rock'em Sock'em robots. And one Ben Affleck Batman action figure non-armored. Now... Some people are saying that we should do one separate giveaway for one outlet and then do another giveaway for everything else. Still still trying to figure out how we're going to do that. I do feel that giving them all away at once will allow everyone to compete and get something uh, from the contest. But again, you know, we're still trying to figure out a way that's effective but also manageable enough that we can do it and run the entire contest with minimal issue. I know that as we've done with the Funko contest, with the Rainbow Moon contest, we've been doing it uh, with entries to the, through the site and certain parameters that people have to follow in order to enter the contest. But again, it's one of those things where we're going to keep working on it to ensure that everything runs smoothly. Uh, the other thing I did want to mention, and a couple of people have brought this to my attention, is the fact that you know there are still issues with certain video feeds of the show. As always, I direct you to mtrlive.com. We have a set of tabs on the live page with different players for different providers. But nonetheless, you can watch the show on YouTube Live. You can also watch it on Twitch, uh, Vaughn Live, Stream Up, Restream. Uh, we're definitely going to work on getting it on a couple of other providers. And of course, for audio, we are simulcasting on Mixler in high quality stereo and, of course, via Blog Talk Radio as well which if you use the call-in number and don't hit option one, you can listen to the show that way. With the Mixler feed, you can listen to it on mtrlive.com, and of course, you can download the Mixler app for Android or iOS devices, punch in My Take Radio, and you're off to the races with uh, live audio feed of the show that you can listen to in your car, Bluetooth speaker, headphones, whatever the case may be, and you'll be able to enjoy the show that way. As always, archived episodes are available within 24 to 48 hours in audio and podcast format for podcasts. Of course, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio are your main sources. 
and for video, we are distributing still on YouTube with the exception of the issue I just mentioned, which may be going on with my take radio TV. Of course, I will keep you guys up to date on what happens with that. What are we talking about tonight? Of course, we got the week's MMA news. We're going to get into WWE roadblock. We are also going to talk about raw. We're going to talk about the wrestling news of the week. And as always, we will take your calls 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. I will say one thing. Uh, Those of you that have been asking about the green wall, I know a couple of people uh, sent me a couple of messages about that, asking just out of curiosity what the intent was. Uh, Obviously, it is green for a green screen. And um, we're a little... We're still learning the ins and outs of that on top of the fact that you require a lot of lighting, which, of course, would probably cook me to death as the weather gets warmer. But we are deliberating what we're going to do if we're going to continue to uh, pursue the green screen facet of the show, uh, whether it's in post-production or during a live show, or we're probably going to just maybe put some decorations and some stuff back there just to not make it look so green plus it 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 messes up whenever i want to wear a green shirt because obviously i don't want to disappear into the wall even though i am kind of brown anyway as i said we got the week's mma news we are going to discuss roadblock and the wwe well the wrestling news of the week including uh a decent amount of news from wwe let's get to it and talk some mma shall we Many of us, including yours truly, were excited about the premise of uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua facing Rashad Evans. Unfortunately, he has had to withdraw from the card and instead will be replaced by Glover Teixeira. Um, Not that that's not a bad opponent. On the contrary, that is a good opponent. I just feel that Rashad Evans and Shogun would have been a better fight. Uh, nonetheless, Tony Ferguson, Khabib Nurmagomedov is your main event. Also on that card, Dan Henderson, Lyoto Machida, Rose Namajunas, and Tessia Torres, which is definitely going to be a title qualifier. I can feel it in my bones. Um, Michael Chiesa, Benil Dariush, uh, Beth Cohea will be taking on Raquel Pennington. Uh, definitely a, a solid, solid lineup of fights. Cub Swanson's on there, Court McGee. Uh, John Dodson taking on Manny Gamburian should be a solid fight as well. And UFC on Fox 19 is taking place April 16th in Tampa, Florida. As I said, I'm a little bummed to not see Shogun squaring off against Rashad Evans. I feel that that was a very solid fight for both guys. I mean, you know, Shogun is trying to get as many good fights and hopefully get himself back into title contention. And of course, Rashad is trying to get himself into title contention as well. And I think this would have been a good fight for either guy, only because it would have definitely laid some groundwork if they were looking to get closer to a title opportunity. On the Invicta side of things, Invicta's been doing a great job. They actually had a card this past week. Um, got to see Angela Hill do her best Dalsim impersonation at the weigh-ins, and uh, she had a solid outing as well. The Invicta card's are always very enjoyable. I just, you know, they're always 
airing on a night where either I'm running around or I got to come home and watch it on tape delay. And because of that, I don't get to appreciate the organization as much as I should. Um, Invicta's done a great job for women's MMA. A lot of great stars have come out of that promotion. Uh, Shannon Knapp is doing an amazing job down there. And the fact that the UFC is kind of helping them uh, putting their programming on UFC Fight Pass and just uh, doing a talent exchange as well has definitely proved to be a great relationship for both organizations. Well, Invicta is actually going into uh, some new territory. Shannon Knapp told MMA Junkie that the company assigned a deal with Univision to air events starting with Invicta 16. Um, they're going to have, obviously, a Spanish commentary team as well. And um, that card is going to have the Atomweight title fight between Ayaka Hamazaki and Amber Brown. Again, definitely very cool to see Invicta expanding into other networks. I think that it's going to definitely help the promotion uh, gain some traction. While, again, the UFC Fight Pass is a you know a solid platform for them and definitely a lot more reliable than iPay-Per-View, I do stand by the fact that the organization... Uh, definitely need some sort of mainstream network support, whether it is through uh, something like Univision or Spike TV or any of these other uh, smaller networks that want to get into MMA. I think Invicta is a viable option. As I said, they got a wealth of talent over there, a lot of dangerous, dangerous women over there. And um, again, with the partnership with the UFC, you're going to see a lot of names like Angela Hill, who was on The Ultimate Fighter, uh, fighting for Invicta. And based on her passport, on her, you know, the her performance this past weekend, you know, we may be looking at someone who will be fighting for a title in the near future. Again, if you haven't watched an Invicta card and you have Univision, definitely try and watch it. Um, again, they are going to get some Spanish commentators in there, but you know, violence doesn't need commentary for you to understand what's going on. It's nice, but you don't necessarily need it sometimes. And in, there are instances where commentary does detract. You You occasionally have to watch a fight on mute. Not often, but it definitely does happen. I will say this, though. Invicta's definitely starting to gain some traction, and I recommend you guys check it out if you haven't. All right, so UFC 196. We know it was an amazing card, a night of upsets, uh, both for Conor McGregor and Holly Holm. Just a, a solid night of fights. But the funny thing is, we talked about the money, we talked about the paydays, we talked about, you know, where the fighters go from there. But the interesting thing that many people have been discussing has been the buy rate. Uh, One of those things that Conor McGregor prides himself on doing is moving the needle, so to speak. And it makes you wonder if, you know, him fighting Nate Diaz on short notice had the same level of impact as his previous fights had. And oddly enough, Dana White popped up on ESPN and he said that UFC 196 did 1.5 million pay-per-view buys, which if true, it would be the second biggest pay-per-view number for the company only behind UFC 100, which had 1.6 million buys at the time. You know, these are, these are numbers you can't ignore because again, it shows not only that Conor McGregor moves the, the proverbial needle, but it also shows that Nate Diaz moves the needle as well. And that's something that a lot of people haven't really been giving a lot of credit to, to the point where, you know, Nate Diaz has been a little, a little upset during a lot of interviews. And I, I don't disagree with him to a point. And I say this because you have to understand, this is a guy 
who's been scrapping in the UFC for quite some time. And the organization, and we've talked about, you know, pay issues and things like that. Uh, you know, they don't, they're not valuing what they have with the, the commodity they have with guys like the Diaz brothers or, you know, fighters like Benson Henderson or, or countless others where you have guys, they're exciting, they get people talking, they put asses in seats, but they're not making the same tier of money as other fighters. Now, uh, obviously, there's, you know, the fault falls on the management or on the fighter management or even on the promoters themselves for just giving them a shitty contract and the fighters taking it because either they weren't well informed or they had no choice. But here's here's something you have to take into consideration. And this is something I look at as a fan, um, you know, boxing, which, as I mentioned in, in a couple of shows, you know, a couple of past shows, uh, the lowest tiered boxers make some serious coin, serious, serious amounts of money. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a huge, huge, huge gap between what boxers make and what mixed martial artists make. Now, cutting them off at the knees with the with the Reebok deal, because it really has cut a lot of them off at the knees, has has hindered a lot of fighters. And what it's forcing fighters to do is test out free agency. Uh, we've seen it with uh, Benson Henderson. Uh, there's a rumor that Rory McDonald is also considering testing out the waters for free agency. And part of the reason is that while the UFC contracts are, you know, decent for some fighters, other fighters, they're just, they're just not making what they need to make. And obviously, as we've said before, there's a lot that goes into preparation for a fight between striking coaches, grappling coaches, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches, uh, bringing in sparring partners, uh, dietitians, uh, supplementation, corner men, you know, medical, whatever other things you need along the way. And what ends up happening is a lot of these fighters lose a substantial chunk of their money, which is where things like sponsors come in, where they, it helps absorb the cost. I mean, again, and I've said this before, did did we need sponsors like Condom Depot or Dude Wipes or any of these other, you know, and I don't want to say questionable sponsors because companies are companies. and Again, you know, they it's free press for them. It's it's a minimal investment and um, it gets their name out there and it forces people to do research. I'll be honest. I had no fucking clue what dude wipes was uh, until I saw it on uh, on somebody's trunks. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it was so awkward and so weird that I said to myself, I got to figure out what the hell this is. And when I found out what it was, I was like, okay, I guess it makes sense. I mean, there's a market for everyone. Uh, Condom Depot, self-explanatory. We know what you're going to Condom Depot for, and um, it speaks for itself. But again, these are companies that they're, they're known in certain circles, but they need that extra push. And you have to understand from a, from a company standpoint also, there's paying for a full-page ad in a magazine, paying for... Uh, television spot, paying for a billboard, you know, the, the, the cost in that is tremendous versus paying a fighter $5,000, $10,000, which, you know, might be a fraction of what they'd normally spend to hit a different demographic. That's not to say that these are the, the right, you know, the right sponsors and the right course of action. But again, it's something that helps the fighters make a profit and it helps companies get noticed. Obviously, 
in the UFC's case with the Reebok deal, they felt that Reebok had enough clout to warrant being a sole uh, sponsor for the UFC. And and with that, I got to say this. The UFC would have been better suited establishing a sponsorship code where, you know, sponsors could come in, be vetted by the UFC, and then be allowed to approach fighters versus the UFC pretty much unilaterally uh, wiping the slate clean and not allowing any sponsors whatsoever. I mean, you got to remember, there's companies that make T-shirts, which, again, conflict of interest with Reebok, yes. But you have to also understand, if the fighters are wearing Reebok everywhere, then you have to, you know, weigh-ins and things like that. We know we're going to see Reebok gear. Uh, UFC specials, televised events, we're going to see Reebok gear everywhere. But, you know, you should allow a fighter to place maybe a smaller sponsor on their trunks. Nothing crazy. But just a smaller sponsor. I mean, again, vetted by the UFC, but at least it would allow the fighter to make a little extra money. I'm not saying that you're going to throw all the all the sponsors on there. But if Reebok is paying the bulk of the quote unquote sponsorship money, then they should have obviously premium placement. But you should allow a fighter maybe to get a minimum of one or two sponsors on each quad or maybe just have the Reebok sponsorship prominently on the side of the trunks and allow the fighters access to at least put one one set of advertising on one leg. I, I think it's one of those things where it's not going to hurt anyone, and at the end of the day, we know that Reebok is the main sponsor. Yes, I understand that when you look at, at golf or uh, the NBA or the NFL, there's one specific provider for everything. I mean, with the NFL, there was the whole big thing about players not being allowed to wear Beats headphones because Bose was the NFL's main subscribe uh main content um main advertising partner and i understand that but again you're you're looking at it where the fighters are making a fraction of what other athletes make and are really going out there and putting their bodies on the line and i'm not taking anything away from the reebok deal like i said i've dissected it a dozen times uh, a dozen different ways on a dozen shows but what you have to look at is the fact that fighters are going are going into this and they're coming out of pocket for a lot of things and obviously it's it's the cost of doing business but the UFC should be a little bit more forgiving or understanding with regards to allowing fighters to add you know a little extra to their livelihood and obviously you know UFC can turn around and say yeah well you know fighters can have sponsors for everything except UFC related stuff well, you have to understand that it's a give and take. The reason that companies are paying this money is because a fighter is going to show up at the weigh-ins or whatever and have that sponsor stuff on them. Again, nothing crazy, nothing crazy, but something small. I, I mean, you know, if a fighter comes out drinking, drinking, I don't know, a Coke versus drinking a Monster, what what what's that going to lead to? I mean, Donald Cerrone has been fined already for altering his ring gear. I think he had a patch for his grandmother on his trunks. And he didn't give a shit because, you know, it meant something to him. It was personal to him. And he'll gladly pay that fine. But again, you have to think about that. It's like, listen, you know, it's not a sponsor. It's not, a, you know, anything crazy. It's just a patch and to honor someone. You know, I understand that that falls under a different purview, but it's stupid to fine a fighter for that. Not only does it take money out of their pocket, but it just sours them on a relationship with the promotion. I mean, look at Benson Henderson, uh, a guy who had tremendous talent, had the 
opportunities, you know, ample opportunities to challenge for titles, uh, was champion at one point, had, you know, numerous amazing fights under his resume. But even he himself acknowledged the fact that, you know, the, the, the lack of sponsorship revenue was a big factor in him signing with Bellator. And, you know, I look at that and I say to myself, okay, that's how we're going to do it. No problem. But the problem is that you end up losing a viable talent and then you're trying to create all this other talent and make them, quote unquote, the highest paid fighters ever. But they're not. I mean, for Conor McGregor to clear a million dollars, I mean, he's he's obviously cleared more. Um, you know, to say that a million dollars is a million dollars. It's more than most of us will ever see. But again, that doesn't take away from the fact that boxers are paid substantially more money. And again, you know, I know some fighters have special contracts. I know some have individual sponsorships with Reebok. Totally cool with that stuff. But you also should allow the fighters, especially those on the lower tier, to get at least one sponsor on a leg. You know, it's it's not killing anybody. Reebok's not losing anything. Reebok is has their their advertising everywhere. And again, vetted by the UFC. You don't want to put Condom Depot on there? Okay. But if you want to put, I don't know, Xbox, like that's a great example. Um, Demetrius Johnson is sponsored by Microsoft. He wears Xbox on his trunks. Uh, I mean, he wore Xbox on his trunks. He wore, he wore Xbox on his shirt. And again, one sponsor. It's not like he's walking out with a hundred sponsors. He's walking out with a legitimate sponsor in Microsoft because he's a gamer. Why would the UFC not want to nurture that relationship to where they could turn around and have Microsoft become a UFC partner? These are the things I'm talking about where people can go and, and you know, promote Xbox or promote uh, Windows or promote certain pieces of technology that Microsoft puts out, Windows Mobile. Y- you know, again, not, not the craziest thing in the world, but that's a legitimate sponsor. And I'm sure that, you know, Demetrius Johnson is still working with them, but I'm sure that what he makes compared to what he was making is probably going to be very, very different based on the fact that they're not getting the same level of exposure. And sure, you could wear, you know, non-Reebok apparel to the club or to a gym opening or, you know, to certain types of photo shoots that aren't UFC related. But again, you know, where's there's still a huge disconnect with regards to money. And I say that if you're making 1.6 million, if you're bringing in 1.5 million pay-per-view buys, 1.6 buys at $65 a pop, you know, that's that stuff you got to consider, man. That's not a that's no small figure by a long shot. And sure, like I said, some fighters may have special deals in place to get it moving. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's still a, a very, very big disconnect between what mixed martial artists in in the premier organization make and, you know, a lower tier boxer. It just just food for thought. That's all I'm saying. But again, you know, 1.5 million pay-per-view buys allegedly uh, per Dana White. Um, you know, it's it, it's crazy if that if that's the case because uh, you know that's that's a lot of people tuning in. And again, this is this is a, a lot of people tuning in to see a substitution with no title on the line in the main event. I mean, Holly Holm and Misha Tate obviously were you know had a title on the line. But the main event on the card was McGregor and Diaz, and and they sold the fight effectively. And I, I'm really hoping that you know it. 
and I've said this in previous episodes, it, it raises the stock for Nate Diaz because he was just as much of a part of that as Conor McGregor was. That's all I'm saying. The next bit of news comes out of the Bellator camp. It's not going to surprise some of you guys, but I was I was partially surprised but partially annoyed. Um, both Ken Shamrock and Kimbo Slice failed their drug tests from Bellator 149. MMA Junkie confirmed that the Texas Combative Sports Commission uh, informed the two fighters that they failed their drug tests with positive tests believed to have come back during the week. As of right now, there's not a specific list of substance, uh, a list of substances that they have tested positive for, um, but a Bellator official did tell MMA Junkie that they have not officially been notified of the positive tests or for which substances they had failed. Um, of course, Bellator 149 was a highly controversial event. Uh, Kimbo Slice, of course, nearly killed Dada 5000, and uh, Ken Shamrock lost to Hoist Gracie in the first round. So definitely questionable on all on all fronts. For me, I think that you know you're seeing you're seeing one of these things where you look at Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock has always been a, a super athletic looking dude, but there's been instances where you look at him and you say to yourself, that guy's got to have help. And when he came into the weigh-ins recently, I looked and I'm like, eh, you know, it's, it's questionable, but I'm hoping it's not the case. Uh, Kimbo Slice, I mean, you know, Kimbo Slice has always been a big dude. I'm curious to see what they tested positive for, and hopefully uh, they will have that, you know, laid out in the next couple of weeks because I'm really curious uh, to see what the deal is with that. This weekend, of course, we got UFC Fight Night 85, which has seen quite a few changes during the course of the week. Uh, the card, of course, takes place March 20th in Brisbane, Australia. It's going to air on March 19th on Fox Sports 1. Uh, the main event, Frank Mir, Mark Hunt. Um, but some of the other fights were changed. Uh, Justin Scoggins had to withdraw from his fight against Ben Nguyen. Uh, the fight has been called off as a result. Uh, Abel Trujillo had to re- uh, withdraw from the fight due to visa issues. Uh, Ross Pearson is going to fight Chad LaPreece, uh for the fight card, and um, they're looking for a- an opponent for LaPreece's original opponent, Alan Patrick. So uh, definitely a little bit of chaos going on with the UFC card in Brisbane. But again, uh, really looking forward to the card. I did want to give you guys my predictions, uh, but I did not have the full card I will probably put out predictions on social media, or maybe I'll put them in the show notes for this week. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, Frank Mir and Mark Hunt, definitely a fight that is going to be, it's either going to be really lethargic and terrible or really awesome. Obviously, I'm hoping for the latter. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mark Hunt. The Super Samoan is a beast. Uh, incredible punching power. Uh, durable as hell. He can take an ass kicking. Uh, Frank Mir, the, the old... Uh, which Frank Mir will show up is always in the back of my mind because that's more or less the case. You're either going to get super jacked and, you know, striking heavy Frank Mir, or you're going to get a Frank Mir that's just incredibly fluid on the ground. You know, the same Frank Mir that broke Nog's arm uh, during their fight. I mean, we'll see what happens. Or, you know, there's always uh, option three, which is, you know, the Frank Mir that gasses out quickly and gets finished just as quickly. I'm hoping that's not the case. I like Frank Mir. I think Frank Mir has a promising career after uh, his octagon days are behind him. I think he's going to make a great color commentator or analyst. Uh, definitely knows knows the sport well. Uh, is an engaging personality. 
And, you know, he's he just he definitely is a huge fan and historian of the sport. So I'm curious to see how this fight plays out. I like both fighters. It's tough to root against either. Um, I definitely think if if anything and 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 it's against, you know, it's against my judgment. I'm probably going to go with Hunt on this one only because Mark Hunt's knockout power is legendary. Don't get me wrong. Frank Mir has has you know incredible punching power and a, and a you know superb ground game but when it comes to to straight knockout mastery Mark Hunt definitely is is a, you know head and shoulders above most heavyweights in the division again definitely a fight to keep an eye on because it you know there may be fireworks uh keep it locked to our social media channels for my fight picks uh Mortis says Vanderlei may have found his tag team partner in Japan than Ken Shamrock you know what the worst part is? I, you know, that tag team grappling match is so insane, but dude, you're probably not even wrong. You're probably not. Earlier in the segment, we were, you know, discussing fighter pay and fighters going to greener pastures. As I said, Rory McDonald has been rumored to be testing free agency. Um, another fighter that opted to test free agency and has a new home is Matt Mitrione. Matt Mitrione, of course, uh, product of the ultimate fighter, uh, nine and five record signed a four fight contract with Bellator. Uh, no debut date has been set up as of yet, but um, looks like uh, meat ha- meathead has a new home uh, in Bellator. I think the Bellator heavyweight division is going to benefit from a guy like Matt Mitrione. I think Mitrione is a pretty well-rounded fighter capable of going out there and delivering exciting fights and not to take anything away from Bellator's weight heavyweight division. But I think that Mitrione definitely can come in there and make a make a name for himself. I mean, he's got a four fight deal. We'll see how far it goes. I mean, it, it's all indicative. Uh, uh, you know, his success is indicative on at least his debut opponent. And if he goes out there and puts on a, a stellar performance and really puts himself out there, I, I'm sure that he will do well in Bellator. Not only that, but I'm sure that the addition of getting uh some sponsorship money is definitely appealing to him. That's for sure. As I mentioned earlier in the segment about, you know, when we were discussing Nate Diaz, I was saying that Nate Diaz has felt, um, you know, that he's been disrespected by the UFC and by the fans. And the, you know, a lot of you guys are probably saying like rich where, you know, where are you coming from with that? Where are you getting that? Um, turns out Nate Diaz did an interview with ESPN.com. And, um, when asked about, Feeling disrespected, he said, and I quote, I feel like honest, I feel like the UFC wants to weed me the fuck out of this position. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Sorry. I feel like a lot of people are coming at me now. I see them making a lot of excuses for McGregor, and I think it's kind of ridiculous. I don't think it's just the UFC. It's everybody. People are saying, oh, McGregor's great. He accepted the loss so well. If I would have lost, people would have been saying piece of shit, shouldn't have accepted the fight. I don't mean to be bitter. But there are a lot of excuses being made for this guy. He's talking about winning the first round. There are five rounds in a fight. Who gives a shit if you won a round? You lost. Um, here, here's the thing. I definitely, I definitely understand where, where Nate Diaz is coming from. And I say this uh, because as someone who follows the sport, there's a lot of different commentary that's made its way across my desk. Uh, whether it's through Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. Uh, various forums, hell, even in the real world, there's a certain level of, you know, there's, there's a certain level of fanboy nut huggery that does exist. And again, 
I like Conor McGregor. I'm a fan. But you got choked the fuck out. Plain and simple. There's there's no, you know, you could say he won the first round. You could say they if they went five rounds, he won two out of the three. But at the end of the day, you were choked out and you lost. I mean, there's no there's no way to make excuses for that. Of course, people are like, yeah, but look at all the damage that Connor delivered. That's right. But who was the guy sitting there with his hand raised when it was all said and done? And this goes back to something that has plagued not only MMA, but boxing and, you know, the NFL Countless sports, people sometimes cannot look past their fandom and call a spade a spade. And and that's a problem. You know, Conor McGregor is an incredibly talented athlete. You know, he's great for the sport. He gets people interested. He gets people motivated. He talks a lot of shit and he brings in a fuckload of money, both for the organization and for his opponents and, of course, for himself. But the fact still remains. Nate Diaz went out there put on a masterful performance, weathered the storm, and won the fight. Based on that alone, there's no, you know, it didn't go to the judges. There weren't any any eye pokes or any weird things that, that tilted the, the dynamic of the fight in one direction or the other. The fact is, they went out there, McGregor came, two weight classes heavier, and he got, he got outclassed. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and everybody that's talking about him being gracious it's true. You know, he was incredibly gracious in, in his loss. He was humble in his loss. He kept it real. And, you know, you got to commend him for that because I think the problem is that people look at it as here's this guy. He's brash. He's outspoken. He's cocky. He's arrogant. You know, every negative connotation that there is. And the fact remains that he accepted his loss peacefully. You know, he's like, yo, I lost and it is what it is. I'll come back and we'll take it from there. And when you look at that, you have to say to yourself as a fan, damn, you know, he accepted it. He moved on. I, as a fan, should accept it and move on. Instead, you know, people are jumping on on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the case may be. And it's like, yo, man, McGregor, McGregor landed a lot of damage. Yo, look at Nate Diaz's face, man. He was bleeding. That's that's great. Again, who got his hand raised again? You know, I can't stress this enough. There's a lot more going on in the world of mixed martial arts than the UFC. It's something I say with pro wrestling all the time. It's not just WWE's game. Yes, they are, you know, the elite, the leaders, but there's a lot of independent companies going out there putting on great shows. Same thing applies for MMA. I mean, even though Bellator has his fair share of freak shows, uh, freak show fights and crazy cards, they got a lot of talented athletes there. Uh, the same can be said for World Series of Fighting. RFA, Ryzen, you know, you can go, you can go down the list, glory, uh, depending on which, which facet of the sport you watch, whether you're watching full MMA or kickboxing fights at the end of the day, there's going to be fans that are well-versed. There's going to be fans that don't know what the hell they're talking about that are fair weather. And then there's going to be fans that are, uh, increasingly analytical. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm analytical to a point when it comes to this stuff, only because, you know, it's it's part of what I do. I want to make sure that I'm delivering my thoughts to you guys coherently and clearly, but also making sure to put my opinion out there, not asking for you guys to agree or disagree. It's just, the, you know, it's my thoughts and my thoughts alone. Again, you're entitled to say, oh, Conor McGregor, he won the fight. He, he, um, he looked really good out there. You can say whatever you want to say, but when the dust settles, the smoke clears, Nate Diaz won that fight 
in convincing fashion. No judges, no decisions, no nothing. Clean te- clean choke and a tap. That's it. Holly Holm and Misha Tate, same thing. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Again, you you don't you don't like that. You're not a fan of that. You you know you want to you want to ride or die for your fighters. That's fine. But don't go on social media just you know just vomiting your opinion on the masses, thinking that that's the opinion that matters. Especially when somebody lost the way they did. I can understand if a fight went five rounds and it went to a decision. You know it's questionable. It's going to cause a lot of different opinions. It's going to make you think. It's going to have you out there. You know, just just looking at the fights differently. I've had instances, and I'll be honest when I tell you, I've had instances where I've watched a fight once, twice, uh, sometimes three times, depending on the fight, for different reasons. And sometimes I look at the fight and I go, yeah, I agree with that decision. Other times I go, eh, you know, it could have been split. And sometimes I I just rule in the, in the other fighter's direction, even though he didn't win. And that's because, you know, sometimes you see other things after repeated viewing. I mean, it's, it's the... It's it's like anything else, you know, sometimes you need a fresh perspective to, you know, understand things clearly. And that's how it goes. There there was no necessity for me to watch McGregor get choked out again because he got choked out. You lost. Same thing with Holly Holm. There's no need to watch that and dissect that because it had a, you know, a, a, a clear cut finish. But I understand Nate Diaz's frustration. And I, you know, to a point, I can't blame the guy because you know, he took the fight on short notice. He did the right thing for the company. He helped save that card. And, um, you know, people people just aren't giving him the the props he deserves. Again, I'm not saying that you got to kiss the guy's ass, but you got to be real, too. The guy did you guys a huge favor in stepping up on short notice and fighting. Again, when Frankie Edgar couldn't fight because of an injury, quote-unquote, when Jose Aldo couldn't fight because he, quote-unquote, wasn't in shape, Nate Diaz stepped up. I mean, I'm sure Donald Cerrone would have stepped up too. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, it's like, hey, who's going to generate the bigger buzz? And the UFC knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Diaz brothers were going to generate a buzz in a short amount of time that was going to make people tune in. It's clear, it, you know, it's clear as day when, when, when that's being discussed. All I can say is to those of you that are quote unquote fair weather fans that haven't really been watching anything outside of the UFC. YouTube is your friend. Take the opportunity. Look on YouTube. Look on Access TV if you have it. Look on, you know, uh, Spike TV, any of these other channels that are giving some form of MMA or even kickboxing because some of these fighters transition back and forth. Educate yourself. Learn that there's more out there than just the UFC so that when you're talking about this stuff, you don't sound like a complete nut-hugging a douchebag fan and actually sound like somebody who's a legitimate fan of the sport as a whole. Again, Pete, we're entitled as, as individuals, excuse me, to root for whoever we want to, whether we're rooting for them to win or rooting for them to lose. We're entitled to that. But I just feel that people not looking at the fucking obvious makes, you know, really just puts a blemish on the sport because it's, it's fucking stupid. It's like, yo, the guy lost clear as day. You know, you could run that back a dozen different ways. A choke is a choke is a choke is a choke. Simple as that. Anyway, last bit of news to wrap things up. I wanted, well, two last bit of, uh, two bits of news to wrap things up. Uh, Bellator's kickboxing league is starting to take shape. They've recently announced their weight classes and their basic rules. 
Uh, they're going to use similar weight classes to mixed martial arts with heavyweight fighters at 265, light heavyweight at 205, middleweight at 185, welterweight at 170, uh, lightweight at 155, featherweight at 145, bantamweight at 135, and flyweight at 125. They also released a basic set of rules. Uh, competitors will be able to attack and defend using punches, uh, kicks, and knee strikes. Non-title fights are going to be scheduled for three three-minute rounds with a with a potential extra round for sudden victory if it is ruled a draw. Uh, title fights, of course, will get five three-minute rounds. Uh, there are certain techniques that are being prohibited, including elbow strikes, throws, takedowns, and submission attempts, plus striking to a downed fighter. Fighters may only clinch if they immediately attack with a knee strike. Now, obviously, most of the stuff is is more uh, to have it to prevent it from breaking down to an MMA fight. I am curious about elbow fight, uh, elbow strikes, only because and. I'm going to do a little more research. Um, you know, I you could elbow in the clinch, um, the set, or you could even throw spinning elbows. I'm not sure why those in particular are being excluded. Um, I do understand kicking a downed opponent, kicking a downed opponent, obviously in a in a sport that's predominantly striking. I can understand that being a no no, but I'm curious about definitely the elbow strikes. As I said, only because if you're in in a tie plum. Uh, or you have a clinch in place and you are supporting a neck, you know, you're grabbing your opponent by the neck, you should be able to elbow from a standing position. You should also be able to, you know, throw a spinning elbow or a strike of that nature. Obviously, the fight's not going to the ground, so they don't have to concern themselves with, you know, 12 o'clock elbow strikes directly to the forehead or to the top of the head, but... I, I'm a little a little confused as to why you can't do elbow strikes from a standing position when you're able to use punches, including spitting back fists, to you know as part of your onslaught during a fight. Definitely curious about that, and hopefully they will elaborate on that as the debut approaches. Of course, uh, three judges are going to score the fights using the ten point must system, uh, which is going to be applying cri- you know criteria that values knockdowns impact on the opponent, and clean scoring strikes. The first Bellator kickboxing event will debut April 16th in Italy. Uh, one of the fights I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, middleweight main event, Melvin Manoff taking on Alexandru Negrea. Uh, Melvin Manoff, if you haven't seen this guy fight, he is a complete psychopath. Always um, incredibly entertaining to watch. I've said it on numerous occasions when I talk about Melvin's fights. He either goes out there and wins spectacularly or loses in spectacular fashion just because the guy's a, a warrior and he's just he's insane. You know, it's it, it is definitely a treat to watch him fight because it is uh, uh, it's like it's like watching it's like watching a street fighter match when he goes in there just because super aggressive, super in the zone, very quick, uh, definitely capable of delivering punches and bunches. Um, again, as I said, I think that it's one of those occasions where, uh, it's a fight that you definitely do not want to miss. Again, you're going to be able to watch that on Spike TV on April 9th, uh, April 16th. Uh, it's going to be airing. It's going to be in Turin, Italy. Uh, a couple of fights are coming together, but the main event is, like I said, Melvin Manoff, Alexandru Negrea is your middleweight main event. All right. Uh, last bit of MMA news to wrap things up. Jason Mayhem Miller 
is once again in trouble with authorities. Uh, TMZ reported that the, U- the former UFC fighter was arrested in Orange County, California, for allegedly vandalizing a tattoo shop with graffiti. Uh, the judge in the case has made Mayhem's bail $1 million due to the fact that he was on parole for a DUI from February, plus a, a ton of run-ins with the law previously, including two separate incidents involving altercations with police in 2015. Uh, he was supposed to fight May 21st, but um, that fight may be in jeopardy due to his ongoing legal issues. Uh, definitely really, really crazy uh, stuff with Mayhem Miller, a guy that was incredibly entertaining to watch, you know, super successful with Bully Beatdown, had a, had a decent career in, in mixed martial arts, and it's just that, you know, every couple of months, it's him getting arrested for some crazy shit. I mean, you know, maybe he is legit crazy and needs to see a you know, uh, see a mental health professional or something, man, because he's every time he gets arrested, it's for some really, really crazy, crazy shit. Uh, obviously if I hear more on this story or anything new develops, I will share it with you guys on any of our future episodes. All right. So that bit of news is going to conclude the MMA segment for this week. Uh, let's switch gears and jump into the wrestling, uh, because there's, there's quite a bit to discuss, including, as I said, WWE roadblock raw. And of course the news of the week, let's get to it. The road to WrestleMania met was met with a roadblock <laughs> this past Saturday. A lot of solid matches were on that card. I looked at WWE Roadblock as uh, warm-up matches for the big dance for a lot of the individuals involved. Obviously, not going to go super detailed in the match-by-match recap. You can watch the event on the WWE Network if you haven't. But um, I do want to talk about some of the, the stuff I enjoyed, the stuff I disliked, and the stuff that was kind of middle of the road. Um, the New Day taking on the League of Nations with the lads in this instance, uh, Sheamus and King Barrett. Uh, pretty solid match. Obviously, we know that this has been building for quite some time. I felt that the chemistry between the New Day and the League of Nations is very solid. Obviously, we know that with Wade Barrett's inevitable departure, we know that he is going to definitely be eating quite a few pinfalls uh, before he meet, you know heads out the door. And in this instance, that's exactly what went down. I felt that overall there was a lot of good, a lot of good wrestling from the New Day as usual. You know, you had that speed and power combo with uh, Big E and Kofi Kingston. I also felt that again, Xavier Woods as a very adds a very good dynamic uh, to the New Day combination. Uh, depending on on which one is in there, whether it's him and and Kofi or him and Xavier Woods. But overall, the quality of that match was pretty good. I think it, it was a good build towards WrestleMania. We should have known that there were gonna, there was not going to be a title change. But I will say that, you know, Barrett eating the pinfall was about as academic as you could expect. <sighs> I like Chris Jericho. I'm a big fan of his. I think, you know, he's, he's an incredible performer, first ballot Hall of Famer, but his promo work and his match with Jack Swagger was uneventful. 
I mean, I understand you want to throw a match out there when you want to kind of add a little filler, but Jack Swagger hasn't exactly been relevant in quite some time. And the fact is that not having any legitimate buildup didn't do anything for either individual. It was just another day at the office for Y2J in his match with Swagger. Of course, he came out the victor uh, with the walls of Jericho. The match itself, meh. NXT got a little love. We got to see the revival, uh, Dawson and Wilder squaring off against Enzo Amore and Big Cass. Uh, definitely one of the better matches between these two teams continues to show why NXT's tag team division is definitely one to watch uh, with such teams as American Alpha, the Vaude Villains, uh, Dash and Dawson, Enzo, plus obviously some of the mainstays on Raw, including the Ascension that came out of NXT. Uh, there's there's definitely a, a wealth of good teams down there. A lot of people were upset with uh, Enzo and Big Cass not winning the belts. But again, Roadblock is, again, a filler event, a special event. You want to make sure that when Enzo and Big Cass win those titles, it is on a big stage and, and it you know it's met with very, very uh, high fanfare. If they were smart, they would probably have NXT do an event in Brooklyn uh, during SummerSlam, which I believe they are going to do, uh, have Enzo and Cass challenge for the belts and have them win in that event. I think that there's a there's a definite plus side to having them chase for the titles, but you can't have them chase too long because it's going to wear thin and people are going to lose interest. I think that uh, Dawson and Wilder are a formidable tag team. They got a great finisher with the Shatter Machine, and I think that they are capable of delivering some solid matches on the main event, you know, on the main roster. But I think Enzo and Big Cash should get a tag, a tag team title run before heading up to the main roster and working their gimmick up there only because the crowds want it. The crowds, the crowds need it. And it's something that would definitely cement those guys as a legitimate tag team in the NXT rankings. The Divas Championship match, which of course saw Charlotte square off against Natalia. Obviously they were in Toronto so that was a pretty big deal. I thought the match was incredibly competitive. One of the better outings uh, for Charlotte and one of the really good outings for Natalia as well. The matches have been very solid. Uh, you know, the finish felt a little, you know, the way it ended just felt a little uneventful, so to speak, only because, you know, to have Charlotte win with the with the with the cheap roll up and the feet on the ropes. While I understand she's a heel and that's part of the, you know, that's part of the character. The fact is that, you know, her and Natalia had such a good match and to see it end that way, at least for me personally, I would have rather it, it ended in a way that was a little bit more impactful for the character. I mean, going with the the feet on the ropes and the cheating, you know, it doesn't make N- Natalia look weak. It just shows that, you know, she almost had Charlotte and Charlotte had to resort to cheating to win. And I understand that narrative and I understand they wanted to do that to keep Natalia looking good in Toronto. But I just feel that it was something that didn't necessarily need to be done because it was, you know, it it definitely takes away from Charlotte's mystique a bit. And I think you could have just had a competitive match that ended with a with a legit roll up without any sort of, uh, you know, shenanigans or feet on the ropes type bullshit. I just I just wasn't a fan. Brock Lesnar's match with uh, Bray Wyatt obviously did not happen. Uh, It's been said that Bray Wyatt is dealing with an injury, which I'll discuss later on. And instead, Luke Harper, even though it was supposed to be a two-on-one match, 
Luke Harper did the bulk of the work absorbing a uh, a lot of punishment, a lot of suplexes courtesy of Brock Lesnar. Uh, this was definitely an impressive way to showcase a lot of Brock Lesnar's brute power. I mean, Luke Harper is not a small guy by any means. And the fact that he was ragdolled uh, by Brock Lesnar for pretty much almost five minutes, maybe, you know, a little less than that, uh, shows the, you know, just the level of athlete that Lesnar is. And I was, I was a little disheartened that Harper didn't get more offense in only because I feel Luke Harper is definitely one of those big guys you got to keep an eye on. Uh, super agile, incredibly mobile, capable of putting on a solid match, doesn't need a lot of hand-holding, doesn't get gassed. And, um, you know, I felt that even though he came out on the losing end, um, hopefully it's not it's not going to be the last time we see him square off with Lesnar. I think that him and Lesnar are capable of putting together a good match, albeit one where it's a little bit more competitive. We got to see Sami Zayn in action against Stardust. A uh, very basic throwaway match. I think they just wanted to do it to get you know Sami Zayn out there, uh, can it, you know, uh, taking advantage of that Canadian fan base that loves him so much. Uh, Stardust, you know, looked like Stardust. I just felt that um, Sami Zayn could have gone out there and worked the match with anybody else, only because in Stardust's case, if you're trying to do anything with his character, which has been alluded to a few times. You know, throwing him out there in a meaningless match and having him get, <coughs> excuse me, having him get defeated by Sami Zayn, I just, I just didn't feel that that Stardust was the right opponent for Sami. Not to take anything away from either guy, I think that they worked well together, but I think Sami Zayn could have gone out there and had a better match uh, with, you know, a Curtis Axel or someone like that, someone whose a loss wouldn't hurt them or impact their momentum in any way. That's all I'm saying. The the heavyweight title match between Triple H and Dean Ambrose was, and, and I'll be honest, it was probably one of the better matches that I've seen in quite some time. There was an incredible amount of storytelling that, that was put into that match by both uh, champion and challenger. Triple H uh, definitely moving a little slower nowadays. Not sure if that was intentional for the sake of the match or if he's just, you know, gotten a little slower uh, now that he's a bit older, but I feel that the the way that the match played out, the way the story was was told, was really good. I think we, you know, they showcased a lot of Ambrose's strengths, and they also made him look credible. Now, that's good and bad. Obviously, making Ambrose look good is the name of the game, and um, it also allowed Triple H to work with an opponent that was capable of really making him look good as well. The problem, and I've talked about this before, is the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're switching from a guy who's legitimately on fire in Dean Ambrose and then jumping back into the Roman Reigns train. And you're just not getting the same response because it's, it's a different level of fanfare for each of those guys. You know, Roman Reigns, he's, he's not over, but, you know, he has, he has his fans. But he has a lot more detractors than fans. I mean, you know, I, I do I feel that he's getting into that that Cena polarizing category? I do, but I think that Cena's polarization is based on the fact that it's cool to hate Cena versus Roman Reigns, where people are a lot more informed and they just feel that Roman Reigns should be nowhere near the main event at this time. That's that's I feel that more and more people feel that way. And that's really the big driver in him being viewed the way he's viewed. Now, again, you can you can say to yourself, ah, you know, Roman Reigns, 
is going to be a main eventer because the WWE wants him to be a main eventer. But the fact is that they've, you know, we're dealing, we're dealing with a more educated audience. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of the stuff that is always rumors and speculation unfolding for real. And because of that, people are being soured by what is currently going on with the product. Again, Dean Ambrose, definitely a better entertainer and a better worker. But at the end of the day, it all amounts to who is, you know, who the WWE wants to put on magazine covers and send to, you know, Kelly and Michael in the morning and sent to, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon or whatever other talk show. When it comes to mainstream appeal and, you know, having a, a you know, a good looking dude out there that can sell, you know, uh, get people interested in a product, you know, I think WWE sees. Roman Reigns is that guy, you know, without even looking at Dean Ambrose. I think Dean Ambrose, his look, the way he's presented, um, makes him come off as a guy who is legitimately crazy. Obviously, there's there's a, a lot of character work that goes into establishing that. But, you know, Dean Ambrose, as much as we'd like to see him, he's not the guy that they're going to want to send to Kelly and Michael in the morning. You know, it's got to be the pretty guy, the guy that, that, you know, looks the part. And I have a nagging suspicion that, you know, Vince doesn't think Ambrose looks the part. I think Triple H feels he does, but I think at the end of the day, you know, Vince's word as always is law. Now, where does this, where does this leave both guys going into WrestleMania? Well, Monday night raw kind of opened up a lot of different avenues that, were, you know, they, they, they made me interested in how things are going to develop on the road to WrestleMania. Obviously the, the fact that the new day face turn is imminent, uh, was established this past Monday as they squared off against Rusev and Del Rio, uh, Biggie and Xavier Woods this time. And the post-match beat down by the Leva, by the league of nations definitely showed that the crowd is more into the new day. Not to mention the fact that the crowd was, you know, going along with their promos, there were more chance of New Day rocks versus New Day sucks. And that just shows you that, again, when WWE wants to do some good storytelling and tell a great story, they they really step it up. Think about it. The New Day went from being a, a really shitty gimmick that all of us hated to a gimmick that grew on us ever so slowly and then ended with, you know, them being funny as hell. And now... I think the gimmick has run its course a bit, which I think is why they're leaning towards a face run. I also feel that the the, the merchandise they're putting out is going to sell more once you turn them face, only because you're going to be able to you know get more little kids uh, buying the stuff. You know, there, there's there's a cool message there. You know, the power of positivity, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a gimmick and it's a shtick, but I think that if it's gift wrapped correctly for them in a face run. It's going to be very successful for those guys. Now, the thing the thing I did want to talk about, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Dean Ambrose, his exchange with Brock Lesnar and later on his his, um, you know, his promo, not his promo. Well, his back backstage segment with Mick Foley and, you know, the, the quote unquote passing of the torch uh, with the spiked uh, with the barbed wire baseball bat made famous by Cactus Jack. Uh, the fact is that Ambrose, it was definitely the Ambrose night on Raw. I mean, he had a really good, uh, he had really good promo work with Heyman. 
made Lesnar look, you know, like like the monster he is, albeit uh, going into a match with a guy who has nothing to lose. Uh, you know, good storytelling. I definitely feel Ambrose was, uh, you know, at the top of his game for both segments on Monday night, and that was definitely a high point. Um, wasn't a fan of Sin Cara and Ryback. I understand that they're building it towards, you know, Ryback and Kalisto and the inevitable breakup of the Lucha Dragons, which is happening. Um, you can already see it by the fact that they're no longer wearing matching ring gear, and Sin Cara has been kind of alluding to that on social media as well. Um, not sure how I feel about that. I think the Lucha Dragons are a viable tag team. They should have had an opportunity for at least one tag team run before going for the breakup, but I think they're starting to see that Kalisto is very, very marketable. Not that Sin Cara isn't. I think you, you know, having a masked heel is a step in the right direction, but I also feel that it's a little bit rushed only because the Lucha Dragons didn't get a chance to gain any traction in the tag team division to the point where they had any meaningful feuds, much less meaningful matches. I mean, the match that they had with the New Day and the Usos was probably their most memorable match, and it really showed that tag team wrestling on the main roster still has life in it. Why they didn't run, you know, they didn't take that ball and run it further and do more with those three teams uh, boggles my mind. I understand you want to build the Usos to face the Dudleys, but at the end of the day, people are going to remember, you know, stellar matches like the the match that they had for the belts, and they're going to remember, you know, Kalisto's amazing spot off the ladder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and by not giving those guys a tag team run, you can tell that they're just rushing through it for the sake of creating more single stars. And I understand why, and I'll address it later on in the segment, but I just think it's something that should not be done. The The Dolph Ziggler setup for his match with Triple H was surprisingly good. Um, I think that Ziggler continues to be a, a stellar performer when it comes to his mic work and, and the fact that he has the crowd behind him. The only problem is that Ziggler, in my eyes, is damaged goods because Ziggler can never... Uh, get out of the gate without something being derailed, whether it's a shitty feud or his opponent getting injured or, you know, creative just starting and stopping with his character. It's, it's something that's definitely damaging his character, in my opinion. I mean, his match with Triple H was really good and, again, was effective in telling a great story. I mean, there were even moments where you thought, hey, does Dolph Ziggler actually have an opportunity here? But I felt that the story, by and large, was good. Again, uh, a really good match out of Triple H. And, you know, Ziggler made him look like a million bucks. But at the end of the day, the stipulation was if Ziggler beats Triple H, he'd have some sort of a match at WrestleMania. What now? I mean, Andre the Giant Battle Royal, maybe a multi-man intercontinental title match. Sure, there are opportunities there, and Dolph Ziggler will definitely shine but I also feel that he's a character who you had to strike while the iron is hot because the crowd, while they're into his character, they do kind of realize and accept the fact that most times he is going to lose. Uh, Sami Zayn and the Miz's match was okay. I understood that the big, you know, the, the buildup was more for Kevin Owens. Obviously, the Miz attacking Kevin Owens opens up an interesting uh, possibility for WrestleMania, as we've said, with some sort of a multi-man IC title match. But 
I'm a little bothered by that only because I feel that Neville, not Neville, excuse me, that Zane and Owens have such a deep, a deep, rich history dating back to the independence. And they were really grasping that and cultivating that in NXT. And to just kind of miss, you know, mash it in there in some sort of a multi, multi-man uh, match. While I understand why they did it, they want to make sure everybody gets paid at WrestleMania. I feel that those guys are two individuals who deserve an opportunity to shine on their own. Like I said, do yourselves a favor. Look up El Generico and Kevin Owens, all their matches, the entire feud from start to finish. This is a feud that was, you know, went, went through an entire year into an, into a new year and, and had so many stellar moments that it would be a disservice to both of those guys if you don't get an understanding of, how far their history goes. Because again, there are, you know, revisionist history is only going to acknowledge, oh, they were on the independence together and NXT. There's, there's such a deeper story between those two guys and the fact that their fates are intertwined. Uh, even now it's, it's something that I, that I cannot stress enough that you guys definitely need to see. <sighs> Brie Bella and Alicia Fox took on Tamina and Naomi in what was pretty much an abysmal, abysmal fucking match. Everything about the match was crazy. Uh, Lana showing up was fucking stupid. Uh, just there were so many things wrong with it. Um, I, definitely probably the low point. If the payoff is going to be that you're going to do Lana, Naomi, and... um. Lana Naomi and Tamina against Brie Bella, Alicia Fox, and, you know, some other diva, maybe Paige, which I kind of feel that's where they're going. I understand that that's okay, and that'll be a good way to get the divas involved in WrestleMania, but Brie Bella's wrestling is god-awful. Alicia Fox's wrestling isn't exactly up to spec either. Paige is good, but... If you're going to put Paige in the ring with anybody, it should only be Naomi. You're going in there with an untested wrestler in Lana and Tamina, whose wrestling is just uh, a train wreck from bell to bell. I mean, definitely not something I'm looking forward to. I think that um, it's it's probably going to be one of the low points. Uh, that's for damn sure. Uh, the Usos and the Social Outcast match was equally for- forgettable. Um Obviously, the the big thing here was the buildup with the Usos colliding with the Dudleys, most likely at WrestleMania, which, again, it is what it is. Uh, Dolph Ziggler's match with Triple H was, as I said, uh, pretty solid. Great outing. Um, Didn't really accomplish much except getting Dolph Ziggler out there. Like I said, the Triple H warm-up tour continues. Uh, You know, his match with Ambrose, then a match with Ziggler, are are we going to get a trifecta and maybe a match on SmackDown? Uh, don't want to spoil it for anyone, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens. I do feel that having Triple H go out there and have these matches with all these guys is beneficial for him as a champion because it just shows that you know he's you know he's not excluded from from going out there and working. But it also allows these guys to work with you know a multi time champion who can still go out there and put together a solid match. I mean. You know, say say what you will about Triple H, whether he holds guys down, you know, holds guys down or uh, derails pushes or whatever the case may be. He's he's a very competent worker in the ring, especially when he's in there with guys that that really bring out the best in him. I mean, Ambrose did a stellar job. Ziggler did as well. And I think that 
that's going to be one of those things that if he continues having outings like that, he's he's probably going to walk into WrestleMania being cheered as the heavy favorite while Roman Reigns gets booed. Will will that be enough to possibly spur a heel turn for Roman? I I definitely cannot say, but I will say that you know Triple H is definitely proving why you know he's he's the best, and and these two matches from uh, this past Saturday and, and Monday definitely drove that point home. Overall, like I said, it was it was a solid match. Uh, the inevitable return of Roman Reigns from his deviated septum surgery. I don't know if that's one hundred percent true. But in any case, he came back. His nose looked a little smaller. Uh, the crowd went mild when he came back. I'll be honest. You know, it didn't, there was no crowd going wild when he when that guitar riff hit. Uh, it was definitely just you know a boo, a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of booing, a lot of really uh, uninterested and unenthusiastic cheering. Uh, I felt that people were cheering just the the violence that was unfolding in front of them. More so than the competitors, I think Triple H was getting most of the cheers. I I did like the fact that they took the fight backstage and it escalated to the point where Roman Reigns cracked Triple H in the back with a with a flat screen TV. Uh, definitely a good way to show that Roman Reigns is is you know he's dialing it into another level. He's going to another place. Uh, I think it, it's good for his character. I just feel like I've said before that it's too much too soon. And quite honestly, they. You know, the crowd is just not into it. And I think it's going to show even more on, um, you know, uh, during WrestleMania. Simple as that. Now, I didn't talk about the um, the Chris Jericho Neville situation only because there's a couple of things I want to get into later on in the segment. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to say about Chris Jericho as a professional. Um, you know, he knew Neville was hurt. He tried to stop the match. Obviously, he had to force he had to force the DQ with Little Nate, and if you watch a lot of the videos, you see that Jericho was trying his best to, you know, like Neville was like, "Hey," and and you can hear it a little bit if you had a good home theater, you could hear what went on. And Neville was like, "Yo, man, I'm fucked up," you know. And Jericho was like, "All right, we got to find a way." And Jericho was trying to go for the quick roll up pin and and whatever. And and that's the thing, you know. I mean, Charles Robinson was doing his job too, but uh, Jericho was visibly upset. And, um, you know, a lot of people were saying that he was upset to the point where, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was very, it was, there was a lot of tension backstage. I feel bad for Neville. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty decent injury. I'll get into the specifics later on, but definitely another huge blow to, to the WWE roster. Again, losing guys that are good workers, entertaining workers to, to injuries. And again, this is one of those situations where it was a freak show, a freak show injury, uh, you know, it could have happened to, to, at any time, but still, it, it, happening so close to WrestleMania, not good for anybody involved. Of course, we had our obligatory Undertaker and Shane O'Mac face-off slash appearance. Uh, it was what it was. You know, it was I, Shane still definitely uh, needs to get a hang of of the promo work. I, you know, he botched a, a couple of lines, which again, you know, is to be expected. It's live TV; shit happens. Uh, the Undertaker definitely. Uh, there were there were there were shades of 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 brilliance in what was done with his character. Uh, you know, my wife and I were wondering if the Undertaker is just going to lay down and let Shane McMahon pin him uh, just to spit in Vince's face. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it's an interesting concept, 
but I think that we're going to run the gamut with this match, and you can expect some sort of a high spot. Uh, Shane McMahon is one who is known for taking quite a few risks, and you know he's he's all about doing something memorable, and you never know. We may see that at WrestleMania, but I mean, The Undertaker, you know, he's, he's still a, a super strong. I mean, I posted a video in on our Facebook group, uh, the Rageworks Facebook group. You know, the guy's doing like a 500-pound deadlift, got a, you know, uh, a high vertical jump. The guy, the guy is still athletic and he can still go and he's got fire in him. But again, you know, do, do we really need to see a part-time wrestler square off against a guy that wrestles once a year? I, you know, I mean, I understand that at the end of the day, the course of action, uh, the post WrestleMania course of action is going to be Shane running raw and maybe, you know, creating a little bit of, of anarchy and chaos with, against the authority, but the fact remains, in my opinion, that you could have done something else. Shane could have had a representative go out there and face The Undertaker. I mean, don't get me wrong. Shane is 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 capable, and he can train, and he can put on a decent match. But you're also dealing with The Undertaker, who is older and not running out there uh, delivering. Not to say that he's not delivering five-star matches, but he's not delivering those matches that are going to be, uh, you know, ultra mobile so to speak you know uh that the the confines of hell in the cell is going to involve throwing somebody into this wall throwing somebody into that wall you know you're going to have some old school you're going to have a dive off the off the cell probably or a choke slam off the top of the cell there's going to be there's going to be a lot of big hard-hitting spots but at the end of the day do we really need that match i mean i understand from a storyline perspective that it's a necessary evil but i mean it, it, there, there's a lot riding on these guys having a good match uh, just because, you know, a lot of people are that are working WrestleMania are being thrown into, you know, these multi-man matches, whether it's, you know, the proposed Andre the Giant Battle Royal or anything else. And The Undertaker's wrestling the boss's son. I mean, again, not to say that The Undertaker, there aren't plenty of opponents out there for him, but I don't know, man. I mean, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach with that match only because it has the potential to be incredibly memorable or incredibly terrible. The question is, which will it be? All right, let's uh, switch gears and go into the wrestling news of the week. As I mentioned last week, uh, Lucha Underground is on iTunes, and uh, a lot of strong rumors going around that Lucha Underground may be heading to Netflix, uh, with the first season heading to Netflix first, while the second season and the third season gets showcased on iTunes and then later on Netflix. Not 100% sure um, if, if, that is, is, if that's going to be official or not. I mean, a lot of strong rumors are floating around that there is a Netflix deal in the works uh, for the organization. I mean, you know, uh, the Dust Till Dawn TV series, which airs on El Rey and his original programming, is on Netflix. So I wouldn't be shocked if Lucha Underground makes it to Netflix as well. Uh, definitely hoping that is the case. I mean, more exposure for that product is a must. If you have not had a chance to watch Lucha Underground, you are definitely missing out. There is some stellar wrestling and some really good storytelling on display throughout every episode. So definitely give it a chance. If you haven't seen it already, look for it on, again, it's on iTunes. You can find both seasons on there and it's definitely worth a watch. That's for sure. There's been a lot of rumors floating around, and this also affects Lucha Underground, but also New Japan and Ring of Honor. 
that WWE is trying to look for picking up additional international talents. Uh, right, right now they're looking at New Japan Pro Wrestling's Kazuchika Okada, which of course you know has been a rumor for some time now. Uh, with the recent signing of Nakamura, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to grab Okada next. I feel that Okada is still one of the bigger, more viable stars in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm always concerned when Asian superstars are brought to the WWE because they're never ever there. Well, let me rephrase that. They're rarely booked in a way that capitalizes on their strengths and makes them look favorable. That's not to say that we don't have the chance to see that uh, with a guy like Hideo Itami, but I mean, we were, we were starting to see it and then he got injured and you know, we haven't heard anything since. I mean, who knows? He might come back, work a couple of programs with Sami Zayn or, or any or Balor or any of these other guys and cut some good promos. I mean, Oscar's in the same boat. Oscar is an incredibly talented wrestler, a very unique character, a unique gimmick. Doesn't need to cut a promo, but um, if she were to go up to Raw or SmackDown, it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't go well. I'm, I'm being completely honest. It would not go well for Oscar because it's going to be easy for them to crutch on the typical Asian stereotypes versus just letting her go out there and do what she does. I, I mean, you know, she definitely needs an NXT women's title run. Uh, she could definitely carry the torch for when Bailey gets called up. But her, Hideo Itami, um, I'm always concerned if and when they get called up to the main roster just because WWE doesn't have a good track record with certain minorities. Uh, Asian wrestlers are definitely one of them, that's for sure. In some TNA news, it looks like Mr. Anderson has been released from TNA. Of course, Mr. Anderson, formerly Mr. Kennedy from WWE, was released allegedly for failing a drug test. Allegedly, he tested positive uh, for some sort of pills, and it was based on a match that he had with Eric Young, which was so bad that it allegedly had to be cut from the taping. Uh, this resulted in him being tested after the match, and of course, the discovery that he was under the influence of something alcohol, pills, we don't know for sure, uh, but definitely under the influence of something. As such, TNA uh, released him. Like I said, countless websites are reporting that he tested positive for some sort of pills that he did not have a prescription for. Um, You know, they're saying that Eric Young was incredibly livid with TNA management because he was out there under the influence. Um, You know, TNA officials haven't received, haven't released a a formal comment, uh, on it as of yet, but Mr. Anderson did say, uh, you know, I don't work for TNA anymore. Fuck TNA. Uh, so he is, uh, not happy. That's for sure. Um, I feel bad. Mr. Anderson became a parent not that long ago. He has twins and, um, I'm hoping he doesn't have some sort of a, of a substance abuse problem. And if he does, hopefully he gets the help that he deserves. Uh, I've, I've never disliked Mr. Anderson's character. You know, when he was in WWE as Mr. Kennedy, he was pretty cool. Uh, he had an interesting gimmick, uh, a unique wrestling style. And, and in TNA, he's had moments of brilliance that have been started and stopped. But, you know, he's always been consistently entertaining. Um, it, you know, the definition of entertainment varies between various wrestling fans. But I always felt that when he went out there and he had a, he had a good opponent, he was capable of delivering some good matches. I mean, the forgettable aces and eights angle uh, was not one of those, but... He, he has had a couple of solid outings in TNA, that's for sure. Uh, real disappointed to see his career cut short. I mean, the guy's been there for so long, 
but hopefully this might be the catalyst for him to get the help he deserves. Don't want to see any more statistics. I mean, you know, another another wrestler uh, that's taken away too soon because of some sort of substance abuse problem. Uh, I wish him luck. And, of course, I'll keep you guys updated should anything change. As I mentioned during my Raw recap, uh, Neville sustained an injury during his match with Chris Jericho uh, during the baseball slide. Uh, the x-rays revealed that he had a fracture in his ankle. Uh, WWE's Chris Amon uh, released a statement. He said, uh, Neville had some repeat testing done in Orlando, which included x-rays and a CAT scan of his ankle. Upon further review, it has been determined that surgical repair of the ankle would not be necessary. Instead, he will be treated non-operatively with a cast and crutches. The estimated return for this type of fracture is usually two to three months. So, on the bright side, it's good to hear that Neville only sustained the fra- does not require surgery for the fracture he sustained. Uh, people, you know, the way the mat, the, the way the the injury looked, it looked a lot worse on TV. I thought that he definitely uh, shattered his ankle and even, you know, the 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 bone that you know the upper the upper bone of the ankle. I, I was just like, wow, you know, it's kind of flopping around in a weird sort of way. So. I, I was definitely worried about that. Uh, good to hear that they're going uh, in a non-operative direction. You know, hopefully we'll see him back sooner rather than later. But of course, it is unfortunate because he will miss WrestleMania as a result. Um, speaking of injuries, besides Neville, it has been reported that uh, Bray Wyatt did not have his match with Brock Lesnar because he was dealing with a significant back injury. Uh, the last time uh, Bray Wyatt wrestled was March 8th during the eight-man tag on SmackDown. And um, if you notice, during WWE Roadblock, he didn't even tag into the match. It was supposed to be a two-on-one match, and Luke Harper did the bulk of the work. So, you know, there's definitely something going on with Bray Wyatt. Hopefully, uh, you know, whatever it is, is nothing too serious. But again, you know, we got the walking wounded now. It's It's, you know, Neville... Wyatt plus all the other guys that are already on the shelf there something something needs to get done I mean you know whether it's a blur, a brand split or some sort of a touring change or uh you know some sort of a of a small off season I mean even if it was taking raw off you know the raw roster off the road and making it uh giving Smackdown a bit more of a focus or giving NXT a bit more of a focus and giving those guys a week or two off I you know I think it would help them I mean with with the amount of performers you have on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, I'm sure you can do, you know, rolling time off for certain performers. And then, obviously, it'll allow other performers a chance to shine on a bigger stage. It's unfortunate that, you know, we're we're seeing so many injuries just creep in. And, I, I you know, I understand it's par for the course. It's part of the business. It's, you know, getting hurt happens, and some things just can't be avoided. But I also feel that... These guys and, you know, these guys and girls are beating up their bodies 300 plus days a year with minimal rest. And, you know, it catches up with you. I mean, William Regal put up an x-ray on Twitter that showed, you know, some of the, you know, the screws in his neck and all the other stuff. And he he said that he was sharing that as a, you know, as a note to young wrestlers about taking, you know, dangerous spots and, and you know, chair shots to the head, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, it was it was definitely a great thing to see. Not obviously not the fact that he has, you know, a fucking carpenter's toolbox in his neck, but the fact that you know he was he was citing it as a warning 
to some of the young wrestlers on the independents and even some of the wrestlers on the WWE roster that sometimes you don't need to do super crazy shit at the risk of your health. I mean, you know, Daniel Bryan with the diving headbutt, even though the guy needed, you know, had, you know, a, hundreds of, you know, not hundreds, but a substantial amount of concussions. Uh, same thing with Chris Benoit. I mean, there's so many different, there's so many different wrestlers you can reference with regards to that. And, and you know, some, some injuries are going to lead to just some bad things. I mean, if you've noticed, uh, AJ Styles hasn't done the Styles Clash on WWE in quite some time, allegedly at the direction of Vince McMahon. Uh, he's been using the calf crusher, formerly the calf, the calf killer. And it's a cooler, it's a cool move. I think we may see the Styles Clash at some point, but it's definitely not going to be uh, a move you're going to see consistently because, again, the margin of error there and the possibility of really uh, severe injuries cannot be ignored. I mean, Yoshitatsu's injury alone uh, after taking the Styles Clash, which, again, you can say he took it incorrectly or not, but in any case, he was, you know, he was a full, he was in a full halo collar, uh, really, really, you know, people were incredibly concerned that he would never be able to to wrestle ever again. And obviously, uh, you know, he's on the mend. But these are things that I'm sure jump out. So, you know, I understand. I mean, there's a lot of finishers that I think are amazing that I'd love to see in the w, in the WWE. But I also want these guys to have long, uh, long careers, enjoyable careers that uh, don't get shortened due to, you know, wanting to do something that, you really have no business doing. I mean, I like the calf crusher. I think uh, AJ Styles does a good job with it. Uh, fans forget that he also has the spiral tap, um, you know, top rope move that he can do as well. Not sure if they're going to let him do that, but um, you know, if you let him break that out for really special occasions, I think it would it would definitely really be cool for the crowd. And um, again, just shows the crowd another dimension of the phenomenal AJ Styles. Anyway. You know, the funny thing about the muscle buster with Tyson Kidd Mortis was that they was there was a lot of questions about that. And a lot of people said that that injury was just a freak occurrence, Um, because if you watch the way the muscle busters done and and Mortis, you can attest to this. uh, You notice that the bulk of it is taken as a back bump. But, you know, some wrestlers, if they don't if they're not positioned correctly, there's definitely a, po- a possibility for injury there. Again, that's not to say that uh, the muscle buster isn't going to be banned if Samoa Joe goes up to the main roster. On the contrary, I've been seeing more and more of his matches ending with the Coquina Clutch, which might be indicative of the fact that maybe they're shifting away from him doing the muscle buster um, often. But the thing is, I, you know, I agree. The muscle buster at a glance definitely looks like a, like a dangerous move. Um, I don't disagree. I think that right now they're looking at it as uh, the Tyson Kidd situation was a freak occurrence. Um, but I'm sure if he comes up to the main roster, they may give him something else just because it's it's you know it's one of those things you got to keep an eye on. I mean, it's no different than the shell shock that Ryback does. I think that the positioning and the way that the neck is tucked in is is a factor. I do feel that. You know, when Samoa Joe delivers the muscle buster, the neck placement is is very, very crucial. And in Tyson Kidd's situation, I mean, there were a lot of factors at play there. But um, I have a suspicion, and, I, and you know, I, of course, if I'm wrong, I will, I will say that. But I wouldn't be shocked if Samoa Joe 
gets the call up and they find they give him another finisher and they only reserve the muscle buster for special occasions or they have him use the coquina clutch as as his default finisher and i do agree though it's it's questionable that's for sure i mean the styles clash is is i think a little bit more questionable given the position of the head and neck during the execution of the move and of course you know size being a big factor in Samoa Joe's case, you know, he's such a bigger guy that there's a, a better a better chance of protection for that bump uh, versus the Styles Clash. But I, I do agree that, that you know, people are definitely going to look at that a little closer when he gets up to the main roster, that's for sure. And, um, you know, I've said the same thing with when you look at uh, certain power bombs and certain moves. They're, you know, it's questionable. All it takes is one guy to get hurt for people to, um, you know, not want to see that done. I mean, even the Tombstone Piledriver, you don't really see that executed except for when CM Punk did it to John Cena and Vince McMahon almost had a heart attack. But other than Taker and um, Kane, you know that everybody else pretty much, you know, they're not running around doing that. So um, it, we're, we're going to keep an eye on, on that for sure. Like I said, uh, I'm going to watch very closely with Samoa Joe because there's rumors that he may get the call up after WrestleMania, depending on how uh, NXT's event in Dallas goes. I mean, if Balor drops the belt to Joe, then maybe Balor will get the call up, but we'll see what happens. Anyway, that bit of wrestling news is going to wrap things up for the evening, and it is also going to wrap up the wrestling segment. So guys, with that, I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling I would love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at my take radio or at rage underscore works. Look for us on Facebook, Pinterest, Google plus uh, Snapchat. We're at RageWorks there. And we're also at RageWorks on Instagram as well. As always, keep it locked to RageWorks.net for all the latest and greatest. Uh, our shows, our content, our reviews and our contests can be found there. That's for sure. This episode and previous episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio in podcast format. And, of course, video can be found on YouTube, uh, My Take Radio TV, and official RageWorks. Again, a reminder, which I said at the top of the program, we are currently contesting a uh, copyright strike on the My Take Radio TV YouTube channel. So, uh, because of that, uh, there may not be an upload on that channel. But, as always, make sure to... Subscribe to Official RageWorks on YouTube. All right, guys, that is going to wrap up MTR for uh, the wrestling and MMA edition of MTR for this week. I will see you guys later today for the gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. All right, guys, thank you guys for joining me for tonight's episode. I will check you guys later. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> That's all, folks.